morning. Welcome everyone to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren and welcome those of you who are joining us uh, using YouTube. A um, couple quick things, announcements out of the bulletin and whatnot. Um, two cent offering, it is the first Sunday of the month. Uh, we are not doing our usual magic penny thing as you may have guessed, uh, but we do have the fishbowl now set up at the back. Um, so feel free to put in your two cents uh, to help support uh, food hunger initiatives uh, around the world. Uh, today is back to school blast. I believe that starts at two o'clock. We don't want to. Four o'clock. It starts at four. It's four. Four to six. Now I'm suddenly worried I put that wrong up on Facebook, but I'll double check that. <laughs> So if you're able to help, um, it'd be wonderful. You could be here around 3, 3.30. We're doing a drop-off one, but that still means that we need lots of help to get those bags out to everybody as they come in. Are there any other uh, announcements to add? I feel like I'm missing something, but it's not jumping out to me. Yes, we are postponing the picnic for now. Um, as the coronavirus comes and goes, it just seems like for best right now to, to not gather for the picnic. The newsletter is out, it's in the back. I am glad to see so many people um, are with us today. I see some new faces or faces we haven't seen in so long. Um, Welcome back to all of you, or welcome for your first time, if it is that for you here. I hope I don't bore you too badly. I have a couple of prayer requests up here. Um, first is for ba Bill Lambiette. Uh, hmm? um, for um, heart re uh, valve replacement on Thursday. Uh, and he's a friend of... Tuesday, Tuesday. You know, you have nice handwriting. I just can't read it. And for his wife, of course. And uh, prayers for Marty Ellis, um, who is having health problems. And Prayers for, is it Widmer? Brian Whitmer. Whitmer, Brian Whitmer, um, who's in the hospital in, you said, Cincinnati, correct? Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll talk a little louder. That's me. <laughs> well, if you will join me in preparing to meet the Lord together today.
you'll pray with me. Holy Creator, we welcome you into this space today. We welcome you to be a part of this worship. We ask that through it we find ourselves drawing closer to you. We thank you. We thank you for these days that you make your presence known. We thank you for the rain and for the sun. We thank you for the birds, the sounds of children, and the faces of old friends. We lift up to you today our brothers and sisters in need of healing. We lift up especially Margie and Bill and his wife. We lift up Brian. We lift up our brothers and sisters who are go undergoing surgery and healing, Eric and Sandra and Karen and all those on our hearts unspoken. We thank you for them and pray that your presence is known. We lift all these things up to you, Lord. Amen. We're not doing a two-cent offering. <laughs>
turn the stone inside me back to flesh and hold me till my best defenses fall and watch this rebel heart surrender all I give it over to you I give it over to you your love is like an arrow straight and true and how this rebel heart belongs to you oh take my life and let it be Olivia. Today's reading comes from Acts chapter 12. Um, I decided to read from the message today, so it's actually 1 through 19, because he sometimes combines verses down together. That's when King Herod got it into his head to go after some of the church members. He murdered James, John's brother, when he saw how much it raised his popularity ratings with the Jews, he arrested Peter. All of this during the Passover week, mind you, and had him thrown in jail before putting four squads of four soldiers each to guard him. He was planning a public lynching after Passover. All that time, Peter was under heavy guard in the jailhouse and the church prayed for him most strenuously. Then the time came for Herod to bring him out for the kill. That night, even though shackled to two guards, one on either side, Peter slept like a baby. And there were no guards at the door keeping their eyes on the place. Herod, I mean, there were guards. <laughs> Herod was taking no chances. Suddenly, 
There was an angel at his side and the room flooding with light. The angel shook Peter, got him up, hurry. The handcuffs fell from his wrists. The angel said, get dressed, put on your shoes. Peter did. Then grab your coat and let's get out of here. Peter followed him, but didn't believe it really was an angel. He thought he was dreaming. Passed the first guard, then the second. They came to the iron gate that led into the city. It swung open before them on its own. And they left and were out on the street, free as a breeze. As at the first intersection, the angel left him going his own way. That's when Peter realized it was no dream. I can't believe it. This is really happening. The master sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's vicious little production and the spectacle the mob was looking forward to. Still shaking his head, amazed, he went to Mary's house. Mary, the mother of John Mark. The house was packed with praying friends, and when he knocked on the door to the courtyard, a young woman named Rhoda came to see who it was. But when she recognized his voice, it was Peter. She was so excited and eager to tell everyone Peter was there that she forgot to open the door and left him standing in the street. But they wouldn't believe her, dismissing her, dismissing her report. You're crazy, they said. She stuck by her story, insisting they still wouldn't believe her and said it must be his angel. At this time, poor Peter was still standing out in the street, knocking away. Finally, they opened and saw him and went wild. Peter put his hands up and calmed them down. He described how the master had gotten him out of jail and then said, tell James and his brother what happened. And then he left and went to another place. At daybreak, the jail was in an uproar. Where is Peter? What's happened to him? Herod sent for him, and they could, find, they could neither produce him nor explain why not. He ordered their execution. Off with their heads, fed up with all of them, he left and went on vacation to Caesarea. By the way, the James at the end is James, brother of Jesus. I just realized reading that, that could be a little confusing seeing as James dies at the beginning. You know, it had been 11 years, give or take, since Jesus first entered Jerusalem. Since his betrayal and arrest. 11 years since the resurrection. And 11's kind of a guess, because we know when this Herod came to power in Judea. And there they were back in Jerusalem, celebrating the salvation of the Hebrews from Pharaoh, just as they did with Jesus all those years ago. Since then, the Twelve had led a new movement. It had grown to tens of thousands of people. They had even had to create new offices within the church, what we now call deacons, just to handle all the workload. They had spread the faith to the north, into the south, into the east, and the west. They had brought in Samaritans, proselytes, even Gentiles. It hadn't been easy, 
They had lost Stephen. They had lost many of their brothers and sisters, and some of them still languished in jail. True, they had gained friends, even a new and powerful voice that would be coming in the given next couple years as Saul, who has had his conversion now, begins to really preach. But that doesn't make losing friends any less painful. Now they lose another, James. James, one of the first called out personally by Jesus. A man they had to have been close to for years. I gotta say, when Peter is sitting in that jail cell, he's gotta be feeling for that, at least to a certain extent. They lived together three years traveling with Jesus, worked together for another 11, and they may have known each other stretching back to their childhood. Corso is probably the worst for John. It would be different this time. It wouldn't be like Judas. James would not be replaced. It's the beginning of the end of the era of the apostles. And Peter sits in his jail cell, put there by Herod. This is the nephew of Herod Agrippa who put John to death and captured Jesus, or had Jesus in his power one time. And the grandson of Herod the Great, that's the one who chases after the baby Jesus. Now, they didn't know if all that work they had put in together for the last 11 years would now be coming to fruition, that the kingdom of heaven is near, or perhaps it would continue after this. They didn't know if it was going to be that, or perhaps their movement would die out as one after the other was captured and executed. For now, all they could do was sit there and pray for Peter as he sat there in a jail cell, chained to two men. Dark enough for you? This feels kind of like a middle movie in a trilogy, you know, Han Solo is frozen in carbonite and being sent off to Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, I'm a Star Wars person. Or Frodo is heading into the nest of Shelob, the giant spider. I'm also a Lord of the Rings person. Anyway, you know how that goes. The story looks really, really bleak at the end of that second act. Everything is falling apart. But of course, we all know what it's really going to end like. We know that it's going to end in triumph. Of course, it doesn't feel like for those who are sitting in the middle of the story, those sitting in the dark jail cell. Now, this isn't the first time in the Bible that we find people in this situation. I think of first Joseph. Joseph, it happens to twice. First, he's thrown into a pit by his own brothers. And then he's sold as a slave, and he does a really good job. And then he's falsely accused and ends up back in jail. Of course, the best-known story that fits into this idea is the one that the apostles are there in Jerusalem to celebrate, the Egyptian captivity. Now, the Hebrews were a proud and free people, they, of course, were the descendants of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. 
living and moving throughout the, what we now call the Holy Land. But they moved to the land of Goshen, which is most likely along the eastern edge of the river uh, Nile Delta, way up there at the top of Egypt. Now, they had gone there because there was a famine, and one of their own, Joseph, had become that vizier, the second most powerful man in Egypt. So they moved there. And as time passed, in the fourth generation since Joseph was being born, there came into power a pharaoh. You know how it is. Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph. You know, he's three generations back. Doesn't know anything about these, except that living on the frontier land of his nation are a group of people who aren't Egyptian enough. And that makes him uneasy because these non-Egyptians could side with his enemies. They could damage his nation. So he enslaves them. He puts them to work building cities in the nearby area. And yet they still grow. They still get bigger. God is blessing them even in this captivity. So he does the next logical thing, I guess, which is to kill off all their male babies. Not the logical thing to do next. Still, they grow. They're blessed. And of course, one of those male babies is saved. We all know him. It's Moses. You know this story. He grows up under the Pharaoh's nose, protected by a princess. He grows and he kills an Egyptian, realizes that someone saw him doing that, and he runs off to Midian. There he marries the daughter of a priest, has some kids, and raises some sheep. Then he returns to Egypt because God spoke to him out of the burning bush and sent his brother Aaron to give him a hand. Moses tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Aaron turns his staff into a snake. God inflicts the ten plagues. Pharaoh's heart hardens faster than someone at an all-you-can-eat fast food buffet. And finally, the Israelites are allowed to escape as they are run through the sea of reeds. We all know this story. Because we all focus on that Pharaoh and Moses and Aaron, to a certain extent, and of course God. We think about those ten plagues and what they are doing to the Egyptians. But that's only part of the story. Because there's something going on over with the Hebrews. It's not like the Hebrews are just going on everyday living. Life has gotten worse for them too. Pharaoh is vindictive in his response to the first time Moses asks his people to be allowed to go and worship God in the wilderness. And he takes away the straw used to make bricks. I've never made bricks myself, but if you've ever made a mud brick, my understanding is you need to have straw or grass or something like that because it binds the brick together, holds it together, it gives it tensile strength. So it's not so easy to break. It also dries it a lot faster, which if you're going to be having to meet a quota of bricks that you rely on the sun to dry for you, having them dry quicker is a good idea. 
but Pharaoh kept that quota the same. And now the Hebrew slaves are working two to three times harder as they are out there collecting straw as well as making the bricks. This may sound like a familiar tune to many of you. How often have you been asked to do the same or more without as much resources? It sounds like working in pretty much any job with a corporate. But we idealize these stories, these people overcoming hardships that they are able to pull through, through their own determination and grit and with the help of the hand of God. We immortalize people of the past, lift them up as examples for ourselves and our children. And we claim that tragedy can be spiritual. But let me tell you, while you sit in the jail cell, chained to your jailers, it feels a lot farther away from spiritual than that. To be fair, I'm a little edgy even talking about tragedy and faith. We all know that sometimes tragedy is just that, tragedy. We have a taste of that in today's reading. Yes, Peter is saved through the miraculous hand of God coming down and opening the chains and opening the gate and allowing him to walk to his friends. But... James didn't get that. He doesn't even get the same treatment as Stephen, glow, going out in a blaze of glory, praising God and showing the way of Jesus. No. One moment he's a member of the Twelve. Back at Pentecost, I don't think James appears since then. If the next thing you know, He's being executed. Never a word from him. Sometimes tragedy is like Peter, and there's something that feels like it comes from it that's great. And sometimes it feels like James. One of the things I will always feel guilty for is for not seeing my grandparents in their final months. I saw Grandpa at Christmas, and if memory serves me correct, it was the Christmas of 2007, my senior year in college, because I remember where I was told he, where I was when I was told he passed away. Sometime after Christmas, not too long after, he had an infection on his heart, and it led to some mini strokes, and then he passed away while he was recuperating from all this. We had made plans to go see him around Easter, but we never got that chance. The next time I was around Grandpa was when I was carrying the coffin. Life goes on. You get older. I don't remember the last time I saw Grandma. But I knew, you know, it was 2016 that we found out she had cancer. I was married. In fact, that might have been the last time I saw her was at my wedding. In her bright green, I don't know what you call it, 
It was a bright green suit. I mean, it was seriously bright green. Like you could go out and hunt with it bright green. <laughs> Lost my train of thought. But I was making a new life with my beautiful wife and I did see a lot less of her. She got cancer, ended up passing away. I remember my last call with her. She was undergoing chemo. Hi, Grandma, it's Andrew. I can't talk. Okay, bye, Grandma. I was unable to attend her funeral because it was the same weekend I had to be out of my old apartment and move into my new apartment. And the distance from Lancaster to Western Ohio was too great to make that trip and to be able to do everything else I had to get done. In both cases, I thought I had more time because that's the way our stories work. You're always able to make it to the hospital in time. You're always able to say goodbye that one last time. Grandpa, after all, was fighting off the infection. Grandma was undergoing chemo. She was getting treatment. I would get that chance. They would get better. It wouldn't be too late. I want to find meaning in this sorrow I still hold on to. I want to understand why, but I don't know if I ever can. I've learned a lot from them. And if you go into my messy, messy office, you will notice I have one picture sitting up on my wall, or up on the bookshelf. And it's a picture of them when they were newlyweds next to one of their last trips together. I'm even told by my Aunt Gina that I've got more than my fair share of Grandpa Harold in me, which is probably the reason that the two of us always bicker when we're together. I still find it hard. I wanted it to be more like Peter's story but sometimes life ends up a lot more like James. Is it dark enough yet? Sometimes when we encounter our faith, and I'm not just saying your personal faith here necessarily, because it will add into that, but I'm talking about the faith of the congregation of the church, the capital C church. That means we have to also encounter the sad and dark side of it too, the shadows. And that means sometimes it's really hard to find an uplifting message. Our ancestors in faith struggled with this themselves. I mean, we have two whole books that deal with the fact that people can't come to grips with what God is telling them. I mean, we got Jonah who goes through this great trial and ends up sitting under this dead tree, angry with God because things didn't turn out the way Jonah wanted them to be. And God replies to Jonah, I am God and you are human. You don't get to see things the way I do. Ouch. Then there's Job, who loses everyone and everything. God tells him, I am God, and you are human, and you don't get to ask why. Sometimes you got to struggle with what God tells you through the Bible 
because it's not as easy as one likes. Sometimes it's hard to maintain faith. It's a struggle to believe that the world isn't always moving the way you thought it was supposed to move. I think of the movie Inside Out by Pixar. Good movie, watch it if you get a chance. But the characters are all the emotions of this young girl as she's growing up. And the main emotion is joy. This, this young lady is someone who just exudes joy. But joy is struggling now with the fact that as the young lady gets older, that sometimes emotions aren't pure anymore. We don't just feel happy or sad or angry or jealous or scared. Sometimes our memories and emotions become all of those or two of those or three of those mixed together. It's something we learn as we grow up. Life is nuances of shades of colors. It's complex. It's mixed, and it's sometimes hard to grapple with. So what, if anything, do we take out from this lesson? And I realized that if I had focused more on Peter, there's a better lesson in there, one that I want to grasp onto and raise up and go, yes! But sometimes we have to pay attention to James. I'm not a nihilist. I believe there is meaning to our experience and a purpose that we work towards. It's just sometimes really hard to understand how we're getting there. I think. No, I believe. No, I know that God will get us where we need to go, one way or the other and that we just have to do our best at being the best people we can be while we're going through it. Sometimes that means we will get to praise God because Peter is released. And sometimes that means we have to mourn because we've lost James. So while we are living this life, whether we are walking out of the jail, whether we are in the room with friends praying and friends celebrating, whether we're mourning the loss of someone, whether we're the ones sitting in jail. No, we aren't alone. That God still walks with you in those moments no matter how dark it feels. Whether it feels like you're at the bottom of the cave and you can't see your own hand, God still sees you. God is still with you. And know that you aren't walking alone. You have God. You have your brothers. You have your sisters and you're being walked with. Thank you.
As you go out today, and I look out and I see it's raining, be blessed by it. Be blessed in knowing that even in the darkness, God walks with us, giving life in weird ways. And that you aren't walking alone, no matter what shadows you're currently finding yourself stuck in. May you go out into this world knowing that you aren't walking alone. Amen.